We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Kyle Porter. Kyle, you uh, you grinding on the Scottish Open, getting ready for the British? I actually am. I was just writing about Ricky Fowler's 64 today. Pretty impressive stuff. He's the uh, the last time the Scottish Open was played at this particular course. He won it there. Uh, and arguably, uh, it's not his best win. That's the Players' Championship. But it's arguably his second best win uh, ever. So, uh, fun time of year. Uh, always got to get up at uh, all hours of the night. But uh, I, I enjoy that for one or two weeks a year. Yeah, you get up when? Like 5 a.m.? 4 a.m.? Mm, 3 a.m.? Week, next week, it'll be like 2 or 3, yeah. Oof. Yeah. Kiddo's, gonna, kiddos better be in bed. <laughs> Dad's got to stay up late. That's actually the one week where I don't mind if they wake up in the middle of the night because I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's. Uh, uh, let's I'm already out. up. I'm Come watch two golf. Cups of coffee. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, it's it's fun. Yeah, good to see Ricky playing well. Uh, I think you and I agree that we both kind of think the British might be his best chance to win a major, other than Augusta. He plays well at Augusta too, but maybe maybe he'll win his first major uh, next week. That'd be fun to watch. That would be awesome. Uh, we do have some some house. We have a, a, a guest on today's show who we're really fired up about. Uh, one of the all time fan favorites, uh, Janava Weatherspoon, is going to be on the pod. Uh, we're going to have him on in a sec, but we do have some items to get to. I think you wrote about uh, Oklahoma State's revenue, their fortieth. Fortieth, yeah. That seems about where I would probably guess they would be. Uh, would you guess they'd be lower, or is that kind of where you thought as well? Uh. I thought they'd be a little higher. You know, this is something that Mike Holder obviously implored us to look at. And, and we do. We look at it every year. Um, he was he was kind of saying, don't look at the details, just look at the overall revenue, which I think is fair to an extent. Um, but, yeah, they came in uh, 40th uh, in overall revenue. And it, it's just – it's always staggering to me to look at the, the chasm between Oklahoma State and OU, between Oklahoma State and Texas. I mean, if you think about it in terms of business, OU brings in $155 million a year in revenue. And Oklahoma State is – uh, about two thirds of that at uh, I think it was ninety one or ninety two something like that. Texas brings it. They brought, in two thousand sixteen seventeen. They brought in two hundred and fifteen million dollars, and wow. and and they can't beat Oklahoma State in football. I mean, it's it's really incredible when you look at it in terms of just pure uh, numbers, pure revenue, what Oklahoma State has been able to accomplish. And I think it gets lost a little bit uh, just because. Uh, the regular fan doesn't care about about like how the business works, but I, I think it's important to point out whenever it comes up. No, it's pretty telling that they've been comp- that competitive despite the huge you know financial disparity. What do you think their revenue was, Kyle, back in like '92 when they had Lewis Field and the <laughs> athletic department was basically you know a relic at that point? What do you think the revenue was back then? A couple bucks. Yeah, I mean, well, even think about like so. The Big Twelve paid out what was it, thirty-five mil this year, thirty-six mil, something like that. Think about ten years ago, two thousand eight. The Big Twelve was paying out, I don't know, fourteen mil, ten mil. It, it was not much at all. And and in recent years, you've just seen it skyrocket. And uh, you know, I I think there's. I don't know how you feel about this. I think there's a bubble there on some level. I don't know if it'll ever get exposed like we've seen in other industries, but uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting uh, to see how that sort of plays out in the coming years because schools are spending a lot of money too. I mean, you you we talked to to Holder about that, and you look at places like I mean Texas. How much money does Texas and OU spend every year on recruiting and facilities and all these different things? And it's like. Does that just keep going up forever, or does it come back down at some point? I, I think that's pretty fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think college football is hurting for money. I don't, I don't see it coming down anytime soon, especially with the arms race. I mean, you, you mentioned at OU in Texas, the, the locker rooms they've built. You know, OSU built theirs what back in two thousand. When did they finish their locker room? It's been uh, twelve, years. eleven, yeah. ten, something like that. Probably around 11, I believe. Uh, West end zone, all that got completed. And it was built then, and they're already like starting to get 
outdated a little. I'm not saying they're I'm not saying their facilities are ancient, but people are building newer ones, and that's just gonna it's, it's cyclical. I'm sure Gundy's probably pushing for more upgrades already to the West End Zone. So it's just I think that's nature of the beast, and I, I see that continuing for a long time. Which uh, I don't know if you've got this pulled up, but I do have it pulled up right now. Uh, which school do you think surprised you the most in terms of how much or, or kind of with their their place in the Big 12 hierarchy? I'll, I'll read it to you if you don't have it pulled up. We got Texas 1, OU 2, West Virginia 3 at 110 mil, Kansas 4, 95 mil, Oklahoma State 5 at 91.6 mil, Texas Tech at 88.8, Kansas State at 86, Iowa State at 82.6, and then obviously TCU and Baylor uh, don't have to report their their revenue, at, at least in this uh, particular area. So is, are there any of those that, that surprise you that jump out? Yeah, it's got to be West Virginia, right? I mean, yeah, I, I get the fact that they're on the East Coast or, on, you know, I'm sure travel expenses make up a lot of that spending, right? Being in the Big 12, having to travel as much as they do, but I still wouldn't have anticipated them being being that high up there. Do you think that travel has has a lot to do with that? I think they have more sports than Oklahoma State as well. Okay. So I, I think when you start adding these other sports, it's it eats up uh, your well. I don't know because like the the primary money makers, I guess, are football and and I guess to a lesser extent basketball. I don't know. I don't know what I don't know why they bring in uh, that more that much more money than Oklahoma State because it's not like I mean you've been to their stadium. It's not. It's not like a mega stadium like you see at Texas or OU or whatever. Oh, this is revenue. I was thinking like expenses and how much yeah, they yeah, spent. It's, it's revenue. <laughs> I had that backwards. Um, that that really surprises me. Um, we know West Virginia was one of the first to have alcohol in their stadium. I'm sure that mm. helped revenue. Um, I, that I, that still surprises me though. I, I wouldn't think of them as being a big revenue producer. Yeah, um, their stadium's not you know just. It's not like they have a stadium as big as Texas's, you know, where they can just right. pack it in and, and make a ton of money per game on a per game basis. That 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 probably is the most surprising one. I, I'd be interested to know what TCU makes. That would yeah, be fascinating. Me, me too. I think Kansas being ahead of Oklahoma State's a little a little interesting. Just because it's a lot of, interesting. I mean, the football is so bad, and, and and when you look at the lion's share of the revenue being generated by all aspects of football, whether that's ticket sales or alcohol or jerseys or whatever. It's just, it's, and I, I get that their basketball makes a lot, but still like basketball is even the best basketball is dwarfed by the worst football in terms of, of how much money is brought in. So I, I think them being ahead of, of Oklahoma state is surprising. They must be maximizing their their basketball brand because you're right. There there are a certain select few basketball programs that make good money, but not not to that extent. So where it can mm-hmm. not to the extent where their their football program is basically dead and extinct. I mean they they play in a high school stadium <laughs> in front of ten thousand people. I know, I know. That's a, it, that's crazy. It's got a track around it. <laughs> yeah, Tyree Kill ran ran. Yeah, that. I remember that. So uh, the last the last thing I did here was I took the top fifty and I ran their revenue ranking against their wins ranking uh, over the last uh, what is it since twenty twelve. So I I went back to the first year of the of the modern of the newest Big Twelve. I felt like that was just a fair starting point. And if you look at the top fifty, the biggest differ like difference in terms of wins ranking versus revenue ranking, Oklahoma State and Kansas State are tied. Oklahoma State is 40th in revenue, like we discussed. They're 11th in the country in wins in that time. Kansas State, 45th in revenue, and they're 16th in the country in wins in that time. Then you go, and all these teams are unsurprising, right? You go Virginia Tech, Clemson, Utah, Louisville, Mississippi State, North Carolina State, and Michigan State are all outperforming, so to speak, what their revenue is in terms of uh, football victories. How, how good's Bill Snyder? 16th in wins since then? It's it's a joke. And that was after coming back from retirement. <laughs> you how good's the second stint? How good is Mike Gundy? Well, yeah, that we we've talked about that a lot. How much he wins despite, you know, his hands are tied a little with finances. Um, so they, that's that's pretty impressive. I mean, eleventh in wins for Oklahoma State. Like when you and I were in college, like that 
that would be like a fever dream. That would be a, a hallucination. <laughs> now it's now it, now it's reality. It's it's pretty it's pretty remarkable what Mike Gundy's done. So I flipped it around and I looked at who's uh, like the opposite, who's worse uh, or who's worse off compared to their revenue ranking. Texas, Texas. It's got to be Texas. Number one in revenue ranking, number 35 in wins over the last, what is that, six years. So they have a negative 34 differentiation. Kentucky, Tennessee, Arkansas, Florida, Kansas, and Illinois are all in there as well. And again, this was just the top 50 in revenue. So if you were, there's probably some team that was 85th in revenue that's 50th in wins. I, I I didn't include them. I just looked at the top 50. Sounds like the SEC is all up in there. Texas A&M's like, in there too. I loved. I enjoyed that. Of course they are. Of course yeah, they're they number, are. They're number two, and it's a little unfair because they're number two in revenue and number fourteen in wins. So, fourteen in wins is not. You know, it's thanks, it's not. Thanks, Johnny it's, Football. It's not bad, but they should be ahead of Oklahoma State, right? Well, they they should have been the last twenty years and haven't. Yeah. Really. Anyway, I think this stuff is super interesting. Uh, you can check out that post on the website. A um, couple other things. Did you watch the uh, Daniel Cormier uh, UFC fight last week? I did. I was actually in Vegas on 4th of July through, and I left that Saturday. The fight was in Vegas while I was there, but I left that morning. Got home. Uh, my friends were watching it, went over and watched it with them, and just could not have been more happy. For, for Daniel. Daniel's a super nice guy. I actually went to UFC 200 two years ago when he was fighting. He was supposed to fight John Jones, and John Jones got suspended for, for PEDs or cocaine, one of those. He got suspended twice. I can't remember if it was the drugs or the steroids that he was doing then, but he fought Anderson Silva in that fight, a uh, legendary guy, and he won. And I got to, I went to the press conference, Kyle, and as you know, like, I'm not going to get up there and ask like an Oklahoma question like in a massive press conference setting. Like everyone would just turn around and be like, "What the hell is this guy doing here?" Yeah, not so good. So I kind of I waited till afterwards to kind of get him off to the side and he was so great. He gave this great answer about OSU and his time there. He like he knew what I he knew what I was getting at and just gave me this great answer and was super nice and everyone says that about him and I even got to experience that myself so it was cool to see him kind of win a belt that had nothing to do with John Jones because that's what everyone brings up because he's lost to him twice even though John Jones is a cheater Uh, so it was good to see him get his due and really he's going to go down as an all-time great Kyle and it's amazing too he didn't start fighting until he was 30 years old which is super late for a professional fighter so yeah just shows you the kind of talent level he had as an athlete to pick it up that late and Ten years later, he's considered one of the goats. Yeah, I uh, I have no idea about UFC or fighting or anything, but two things I can speak on. One, guys, and and this is uh, selfish and maybe a little wonky, but like guys who who understand what you're getting at when you ask questions and need an answer about a specific thing, like being from Oklahoma. That's I really appreciate that a lot because I think it takes a self awareness and a just a maturity level to see what you're going for and to give you something good. Uh, and then two, uh, Seth Duckworth, who is our wrestling writer on PFB wrote a really good piece about how, uh, Daniel Cormier doesn't get enough attention in terms of, uh, just his representation of Oklahoma state and the things that he's accomplished in UFC. And I think part of that is because, uh, UFC, has not caught on specifically with the Oklahoma state fan base in the same way that I don't know, maybe Ricky Fowler and golf has, or even I don't, maybe uh, I don't know, Marcus smart in the NBA, some, something like that. Uh, but he, he just, he kind of wrote about some of the things that you said, like this guy's the real deal. Like he's, he's genuine. He reps OSU. He's proud of where he's from. And he's had a great career. So uh, pretty pretty cool stuff. If people haven't read that, they should go check it out. Yeah, and Dana White, the UFC president who pulls no punches ever, like he couldn't stop talking after the fight about the type of person Daniel is. He was like, forget about fighter. This guy's one of the greatest human beings I've ever met. He, just, he went on mm. and on and on, and that tells you the kind of guy he is. And he's an as good of a fighter as he is, Kyle. He might be a better talker. He is an unbelievable commentator. And... He'll have a future in that. He, he's kind of like, 
in a way, he's a lot like Michael Strahan. I could see him being like a just a multimedia star, not just a guy who commentates on his own sport. That's how that's how just talented he is in in, in general. And uh, you're right about the OSU. He wears he wears OSU gear all the time on social media. Did did I haven't read Duckworth's piece yet? But did he write about? You know, they had Cormier and the guy who just fought Miocic on uh, the Ultimate Fighter, where they're coaches. And each season, each team has their own color. Well, of course, Daniel's color was orange. His team wore orange. That's just another example of him yeah. repping OSU hard. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, I think he mentioned that. I, I don't I don't remember. He mentioned a lot of different uh, things when it comes to, to Cormier and OSU. So yeah. that was pretty cool. Um, okay, couple more things do you i'll give you i'll give you an option here you want to talk about oklahoma state's uh europe trip in basketball or do you want to talk about kyle boone's uh piece on ou and recruiting ou (laughs) (laughs) so we got a lot of feedback about uh kyle boone wrote about how ou's got a ton of momentum right now in recruiting and, uh, you know, he, he sort of compared and contrasted Oklahoma state had a, a big month of June. I think they picked up uh, eight guys, seven or eight guys. Uh, but OU is just, they're just destroying them, uh, on the recruiting front right now. A lot of, a lot of feedback on that. Uh, and, and, and he sort of centered it around. I thought this was pretty smart. He, he centered it around what everything centers around right now in terms of recruiting in the state of Oklahoma. And that's Dax Hill. And, you know, Dax has been pretty public about saying, you know, where my brother goes doesn't matter, where all these other guys are going doesn't matter. It's it's all about my decision. But that's both of those things. It's it's tough that those things wouldn't pl- wouldn't factor in, wouldn't play into your decision on some level. Um, so, just what do you think about the kind of the reaction to that and 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 it, Boone's piece itself? If if you're able to read it, well, I've been talking about that for a while. Just the 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 amazing thing about OU still winning the conference practically every year was they weren't recruiting well under Bob Stoops. They were in like mm-hmm. the 15 range most of the time yeah. on rivals. Yeah. Now Lincoln Riley's got him in the top three. Like that that's a huge story and issue for Oklahoma State. If, yeah, it's, if it's you want to win the Big 12, that is a big story. I, I know I know OSU fans don't like to read about OU on on Pistols firing blog, but it, it pertains to Dax Hill, who is the biggest recruit OSU has going right now. So it, it obviously pertains to OSU. I, the thing I don't like, and I, I read some of the comments, is this notion that your blog, Kyle, should prop up OSU and spin things positive, and, and you're hurting the program by writing about such things. That That is nonsense. Those are the people that think that the Oklahoman is just is out to get OSU and that that, that to me is is wrong and but they and are yeah yeah the, the Oklahomans just they made their their life's mission despite covering OSU as well as any outlet out there is to bring them down that's that's what they want and that's what and that's just the annoying thing anytime you write about OU that's what people say but but no it's a huge story and um I would be very worried about Dax Hill if I was an OSU fan I Again, I, I don't think justice is going to be there next year. So I think if that's if you're pinning your hopes on that, I think you better I think you better work, start worrying even harder because I don't I don't know. But anyway, just I thought Boone did a good job laying out all the all the momentum that OU's created, and yeah. it doesn't seem like like of course a lot of it's they're OU like they they win they're on national TV they're in the playoff and Baker Mayfield had a lot of momentum too, but they've also done a lot of things that I think OSU can do. You know, they hired this. A recruiting person for social media that has just mm. made OU cool again. OU wasn't very cool a couple of years ago. They kind of gotten stale. Yeah, and I, I don't think Lincoln's done anything. I don't, think, <clears throat> I don't think he's done anything that OSU can't, as far as you know, social media that type of things. And I think OSU's come a long way social media wise. I think they've done a really good job lately with, you know, recruits are always tweeting out those graphics that people send them and stuff, and the coaches are tweeting out and stuff like that too. So. I don't mean to say oh she's not doing well. They are with social media, but it just seems like Lincoln's got OU headed towards heights that OSU can't quite reach. Yeah, uh, which is uh, frustrating as an Oklahoma State fan, but it's also a reality. And by the way, did you see how Gundy tried to get out in front of the uh, the justice thing? 
Oh, what do you say? There, there was a quote from him the other day about how, well, you know, it might have been from. It actually might have been from the spring, and maybe I just saw it the other day. Justice is cerebral. You know, he's going to have uh, two two final great years here and then graduate and go on to bigger <laughs> things. <laughs> and, like, he's just – he's already uh, all the way out in front of it, uh, which is hilarious and what he should do. I mean, you you definitely want Justice Hill in Stillwater for, for two more years. But, you know, I, I think that in terms of what Kyle Boone wrote, I edited it. I thought it was – thought it was really good and I think we're in sort of this weird position of if you look at the other sort of bigger independent blogs around the country you've got uh, obviously a big Ohio State blog a big Michigan blog a big uh, Florida State has a really good one and and these are all these are all schools that are that are powerhouses when it comes to football that's sort of why you create a a blog or why you did 10 years ago was (laughs) was like, there's too much information. We need another outlet to cover it. And Oklahoma State's not like that. And so I think when you get a site like ours or like um, Cyclone Fanatic is is kind of the Iowa State version of us, this independent place that's covering the team, it's this weird space of like, yeah, we're, we're still fans, but we're also covering this in a, in a, at, at, on a higher level uh, with some objectivity. And also along with that, our school is just not as good as our rival. And so like it's this it's a really weird space that not that many people are in. And so we've struggled to know how to handle it, what to do with it. Uh, and, and I think that I don't know, I feel like we've done a, a pretty good job. And, and I, yeah, Kyle Boone's piece. I just I don't know, man, I, I have a hard time getting real worked up over the things that he wrote like it's not his job to recruit or not recruit for Oklahoma state. Like that's not what we're doing here. Like I'm not, that's not a game (laughs) that we're going to play. And I think to suggest otherwise is just, I don't know, maybe, you know, don't read PFB. Like we're not, we're not forcing you to. Um, So yeah, I, I don't, I don't mean to come off haughty in that or like I have a bad attitude about it, but I feel like we have always striven, striven. We've always, uh, been, strove i don't know what the right word is we've always been driven toward uh a place that is funny insightful and informative and i feel like his piece fit in with that nicely yeah and to to not write that piece would be and to say that you know that's not happening or that osu is fine and they're gonna get dax hill and they're gonna beat ou five straight years that's just you're sticking your head in the sand you're just kyle just telling that giving an update on what it's like out there on the recruiting trail right now. OU's yep. hot. OSU's getting, you know, the type of recruits they typically get, two or three mm-hmm. star guys, maybe a four, and they're probably trailing right now for the biggest recruit in the cycle, the one whose brother goes to OSU. So that's yeah. That's just how it is. That's and that's what you should do. So when you start when you start telling it like it not is, that's that's when people tune you out. That's there's 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 other places you can go where they'll tell you that it's all sunshine and rainbows and that's, that's how you get tuned out and credit to you guys for covering it. You know, the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. Intellectual dishonesty. I feel like is the, is the phrase there. Um, okay, Carson, we need to talk about, we're going to do uniforms first this week. So let's get to this week's uniform review brought to you by Chris's university spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop on campus corner and be sure to shop online at Chris university spirit.com. Um, world cup, Almost over. I know you're heartbroken over your uh, your English side getting getting beaten by Croatia on Friday or Wednesday, yeah. whenever it was. That, that dishonest Turkish referee. <laughs> he was pretty all bad. The fouls, calling all the fouls on England, none on Croatia. <laughs> none on Croatia. Uh, but no, nah, I mean Croatia was the better team, so I, I, you can you can stomach that. I mean England had a the yellow brick road to the semifinal. They couldn't have asked for a for an yeah. easier path so but it was it was fun to watch um best unis in the world cup I, it's a shame croatia never gets to wear them they always have to wear their road uh, black uniforms but their their checkerboard red and white jerseys are pretty iconic and they're pretty clean yeah but i thought i thought england yesterday in the all whites was pretty slick that, that, that's that was pretty clean yeah, that's sort of why I brought that up was because I, I mean, it was it was very. We all know how much I love the 
the Texas all whites. <laughs> and it was it was very reminiscent of uh of Texas. It it was great. It was fantastic. Yeah, it's pretty slick. Uh, any other yeah, lines for you? Did you watch well, any other World Cup? The checkerboard is great. Have they how much have they worn that this cup? Have they worn it at all? Once or twice, maybe. It seems like I think a lot of teams are red, so you can't really wear that. Mm. Um, like, like like yesterday, their checkerboard's white and red, and England's jerseys are white or they're red. So they they Croatia had no choice in the matter; they had to wear their blacks. I uh, I'll tell you little what known, I don't little known little known fact here, Kyle. Real quick, sorry. Uh, I don't know if people know this about soccer, but the shorts and the socks also can't you you can't have the same color of those as the other huh. team. So like there's a lot of times like like France for instance in the semifinal they usually wear blue, white shorts, red socks, but they wore all blue because uh, who they played Belgium was wearing red uh, shorts and socks so they couldn't wear red socks with it so they just went all blue just to make it too drastically different. Little known fact for you. Yeah, that's great. I love it. I'll tell you what I don't like. I don't like Uruguay. They're they're baby blue skin tight pumas. It's it's disgusting. It's not good. Yeah, those were terrible. They've always had just some off brand garbage. <laughs> uh, I've always liked Portugal. Um, I like yeah, France. All the, all, I, the Nike, all the Nike school. All the Nike schools are great. Or kind of countries. <laughs> <laughs> I really I I watched the France. Uh, who did they beat? Belgium in the semis. Yep. I really like their blues. I, I like the Brazil blue a lot. I think that's pretty. I think that's pretty strong. You like their blue, um, really? That's yeah, their, that's their road kit. Yeah, they're alternates. Um, Say so they're they're yellow, uh, blue, and white is like probably the most iconic uniform, except yeah. for maybe Ar- Argentina's stripes. Yeah, and I think I I think when you think of Brazil, you think of the yellow, but. I like the blue. I think it's. I think it's a great blue. I think it. Yeah. I don't know if I like the all blue, but I, I do like their blue tops. I think they're pretty sharp. Well, it's a shame Holland didn't make it. The Netherlands. I think a lot mm. of OSU people root for them because they're always rocking the the bright orange. <laughs> uh, by the way, did you see that uh, Roger Federer went from Nike to Uniqlo? Yeah, and didn't he get paid like three hundred million dollars to do that? He, he got a lot of money. Like I was thinking about that when I heard the story and I saw him that day on, on Wimbledon coverage and I was like, you know what? I'm not married to the swoosh. Give me that 300 <laughs> mil. I'll wear that Unico or whatever that was. Like to hell with the swoosh. You're going to pay me 300 mil. Good, good on you, Roger. Yeah. I'll wear, I'll wear anything for 300 mil or whatever the number is. That's insane. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, Okay, Carson, uh, let's get to uh, Janava Weatherspoon. Uh, like you said, we, we really enjoyed chatting with him. We, we taped this earlier in the week, uh, but we talked to him, and then we talked a little bit about uh, Big 12 Media Days, which is coming up next week after we talked to him. Uh, so it's time for the Coop Works Guest of the Week. Coop Works bring great-tasting craft beer in Oklahoma City. Try the flagship F5 IPA. The Bold DNR Belgian Strong Ale or the Refreshing Horny Toad Blonde. For your next watch party, tailgate, or get together with friends, Enjoy a cold coupe works, and please remember to drink responsibly. Carson, uh, Janava wanted me to mention, we talked about this a little bit in the interview with him, but he wanted me to mention his uh, German Shepherd um, sort of business that he has. Yeah. So I, I told him I'd give him a shout-out. It's vonweatherspoongsd.com, and uh, you can see some of the animals that uh, I guess he he breeds and takes care of and uh, just kind of that business that he runs. It's it's pretty cool. And I know you're, a, as you mentioned in our interview, you're a German Shepherd owner. So people should uh, should definitely check that out and uh, hope you guys enjoy the interview. Joining us right now was a key, mem- key member of the 2004 Final Four team for Oklahoma State, Janava Weatherspoon, a.k.a. Spoon. Spoon, what are you up to, man? Uh, g- give the fans an update on... Where you've been since Oklahoma State and what you're up to now? Uh, well, um, after Oklahoma State, um, I went over to Poland and uh, played professional for a while. Uh, I met my wife there, and we got married, and uh, we moved back to Delaware for a few years. And now I live in beautiful hot Florida over by Destin Beach and Pensacola Beach. Um, I've been working in the school district, coaching some basketball. Um, also, I breed German Shepherd. 
uh, adults known. Um, just staying busy, you know. Life, working and staying busy. Stillwater to Poland is not a, uh, a, a probably a normal transition for. There's not a lot of people <laughs> that have made that transition. What was it like to go from Stillwater USA to playing professional basketball in Poland? Yeah, well, I had a little bit of experience with traveling and being in different places. You know, I grew up in uh, Dover, Delaware. I went up to Boston and lived there for a year in prep school. And then I went out to West Texas, to Odessa. And then I came to Stillwater. So um, going over to Poland, just being in a different environment, different country, different people, um, it worked out good for me. Just, you know, try to be a good person and put myself around good people. And I enjoyed myself, you know, so it worked out good. I have a German Shepherd, so that, that speaks to my heart. I, I love German Shepherds. That's pretty cool. How'd you get into that? Um, well, you know, I had a few passions in my life. Of course, basketball and coaching was one of them. Um, family was another passion that I always wanted to have, you know, since I was a small kid. And my other passion was German Shepherds. Uh, since I was a kid, I always loved German Shepherds, uh, dogs and the police dogs and stuff like that. So at a time in my life now, I'm 37 years old, and I have a little extra time to kind of breed German Shepherds and stuff like that. So uh, it worked out good for me. I actually just sold a puppy to Oklahoma to my buddy uh, Tyler Bush, Tyler and Tara Bush. They just got one of my puppies um, about <laughs> That's a good stuff. couple weeks ago. So I made sure I send them the best one, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had uh, we had we had your teammate Tony Allen on a few weeks ago, and he kind of had a, a crazy journey just to get to Oklahoma State. He went to some kind of junior college showcase and uh coach sip sip glenn cyprian was there and saw him just how how did you end up uh going to school at oklahoma state what was your kind of recruitment to, to osu well i listened to that um interview that tony had you know i've got a lot of respect for tony man he's a, a tough tough guy man he taught me a lot over at oklahoma state but um coming out of odessa i was an all-american like tony was saying and uh you know just i had a lot of my recruiting picked up my sophomore year at odessa when i became you know a top 10 player or something like that in the junior college ranks or something. And um, just, you know, Coach Sip recruited me, and I talked with Eddie Sutton on the phone and stuff like that. And uh, I know Coach Sutton was an awesome coach, and I heard a lot of good things about him. And uh, Coach Sip, Sip did an awesome job recruiting me, of course, you know, because we, we had Shane Gatson and Victor Williams and Melvin Sanders and all those guys my first year. And um, he told me that we had a good group of guys and we wanted to do some things when I, when I came in. So, um kind of fell in love with the campus and the situation up there and it worked out okay for me um deciding to go to Oklahoma State how good was Shane Gadsden uh he was you mean how good he was he was a very good player and like for me you know coming to Oklahoma State I kind of lost a lot of confidence like I, like Tony talked about I was an All-American coming in and you know I lost so much confidence just being in a new situation with a new coach yeah. and stuff like that and from an individual standpoint, I wasn't so happy at Oklahoma State because I was the All-American and I was coming to touch up some skills and hopefully make it to the NBA. And it ended up happening totally opposite. You know, I um, I never have any regrets about what I've done in my life, but I've uh, been in a situation at Oklahoma State where I learned how to be the ultimate team player. You know, the, the best team experience which you can have was me at the with my team making it to the Final Four. You know, that lived with me forever, you know, so... I never have any regrets. Of course, I would have loved to be in the NBA and stuff like that, but uh, sometimes things work out in a different way for you and your family, you know, so it's okay for me. Yeah, Kyle Kyle loves him some Shane Gadsden. I'm not, <laughs> out of all the players to pick out, I don't think I would pick out Shane Gadsden, but he, he, he was loved awesome. his uh, – He loved his flair, right? And that we love Kyle is his – Yeah, uh, no, he, he was great. I did, want, I, I did want to ask you, when you think about – those teams because you guys had some really really good teams some of the best in modern Oklahoma State history what what do you think of when you think about those teams um just from I mean somehow Oklahoma State always seemed to have some of the best athletes and kind of defenders that came through um with a with a coach Sutton and those guys so uh, many times we get in arguments or debates about who was the best defender or which team can beat who or whatever that kind of thing with uh, Randy Rutherford and those guys were always talking to have fun uh, with those debates <laughs> and stuff like that. But I just think, you know, somehow the top athletes or really strong defenders always happen to be coming through Oklahoma State, you know, uh, during those times. You, you talk about the best team, you're always talking about who's the toughest defender all the time when you're talking, not so much about who's the best uh, shooter or scorer or something like that. It always comes down to 
I can defend you and I can lock you down so you can't do anything, right? So um, it's always fun to base with those um, those players with those times. Well, that's kind of what you were known for, Spoon, coming off the bench, playing some defense, being energetic. Um, playing for Eddie Sutton, did he kind of take your defense to another level or did he just kind of enhance the skills you already had? Yeah, I think the skills are already there, but, you know, Coach Sutton was one of the best coaches that, um, that I played for. And uh, since my confidence was so low with my off, I was a great shooter, a great scorer coming in. But since I lost so much confidence, I just kind of shifted towards the defensive end because that was something that I felt like I can do really well. And, of course, the techniques and our practice and his defensive mind, what he has, of course that helped me uh, elevate my game from a defensive standpoint, of course. So um, I would say definitely being with Coach Sutton and that system that he had helped me uh, learn how to defend a lot better than before. So um, it was it was fine with me. Who was the toughest guy that you had to defend, whether in Oklahoma State's practice or playing other teams in the Big Twelve or nationally? Who, who do you remember going up against that you're like, wow, that guy was that guy was tough to to stay in front of? And in, in my opinion, um, my team that I played for with the 2004 Final Four, I would say everybody that I had to defend between Tony Allen, Joey, Stevie, uh, Terrence Crawford. Sometimes I would get stuck with him in the post or. John Lucas, I would, and Daniel Bobbick, I would say having to defend those guys every day in practice, that pretty much prepared our whole team for um, going up against the other guys in the Big 12 and into the tournament and stuff like that. Because I think our practices every day was kind of like a game in itself because we, we knew each other very well. We competed. You know, we did all of those things every day. So when, when you think about who was, who, who was the toughest to defend, I would say my teammates. <laughs> <laughs> that team was loaded. <laughs> I mean, you go up and down the yeah, list like you just did. So much loaded. talent. Uh, I have a two-part question. You know, there, there was the infamous practice where Eddie and Sean and those guys made you put on the, the football pads. What do you remember about that practice? And I got think I think I know the answer to this. But did the shoulder pads and helmet? Did you find any ones that fit you, or did they just throw some on you <laughs> for that practice? Yeah, yeah. We all we all thought we wasn't we didn't think they were joking, but we didn't play that well coming up to that point where we had to get those pads but coach told us that we had to go down to the football equipment room and get geared up and of course we're all looking at each other like are they serious man like what do we do so bad that we got to go put on football equipment man like we love Oklahoma State football but we don't want to we don't want to play <laughs> we don't want to play football you know so um I just think everybody was just shocked and we all kind of knew that because we're used to being challenged by coach anyway it wasn't like uh, practice was so easy like we're just going to have fun and we're going to uh, shoot threes and have a good time. It was always very tough, and he always uh, challenged us a lot. So when he told us that, we knew we were like, "Hey guys, you know, going into practice, we got to be ready. Get yourself mentally prepared because we're about to go through hell." You know, so it was just like, "Here we go." We didn't know how we were going to have to do things, but we know it's going to be hard. You know, so from that standpoint, we're just like, "All right, here we go. Here's another challenge. You know, let's show coach that we can do it." And whatever we did before that point to get us th that we had to put on helmets and pads. Uh, let's try to stay away from that. <laughs> <laughs> is is there anybody from from those teams from that time, even from your time in Poland, that you still stay in touch with, or that you consider somebody who's kind of a, a lifelong friend? Um, we, um, everybody, kind of spread out or whatever, but we always try to stay in contact at some point. You know, recently I've been in contact with uh, Tony. Um, a little while ago with John. Always stay in contact with Jason Miller. He was my good buddy. And he still is my good buddy. When I was there, we would go fishing and uh, hunting turkey and stuff in Oklahoma or whatever. So ride horses. We would do everything together out at one of the ranches in Oklahoma. Um, Ivan McFarlane and Joey and Stevie, I stay in contact sometimes. Uh, we always try to kind of, you know, get a phone call or a message, a text message or on Facebook or something. We'll try to stay in contact. But um, if I can choose one person that I'm in, in more contact than others, I would say probably Jason Miller. Yeah, what, what's he doing nowadays? Uh, he's, I think he's at home over in Texas. Um, okay. He's doing some EMS with the ambulance and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Some kind of work. And he's doing very well. Okay. So, but I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about the that Final Four run, obviously. But early in that season, I believe you lost a, a game earlier in the year to BYU, and then lost kind of uh, really badly, I guess, to Texas Tech. But then you guys reeled off like eleven straight wins and. Of course, lost four games all year, made the Final Four. What, what do you remember about the beginning of that run you guys made where you guys just took off? Did you kind of guys all feel it as a team? Like, 
we're loaded and we're about to go on a big run because it was it was pretty drastic how how hot you guys got. Yeah, I think we all. I mean, in the beginning of the season, you know, we looking around and we all kind of we would always talk, hey, guys, we we got a chance, we can be really good, we can maybe win a championship or something. And we always challenged ourselves that we wanted to be the best that we can be. And um, as we rolled along and we, you know, like a team just starting, you got to build confidence and kind of build into yourself, build your identity, what you want to be and what you want to do. And uh, we hit some hard games like BYU. I think Texas Tech, we had a tough game. I think uh, over at Missouri, we went into double or triple overtime or something like that. And as we went along through the season, we just been through so many things that we finally got to a point where like, hey, you know, we, we got a chance to be really good when we put these pieces together, you know. So um, I think we peaked at the right time where we rolled through those wins and got to the Final Four. What would 37-year-old Spoon tell 20-year-old Spoon going into just going to Stillwater? Just if you had to go back and do it over again, what, what knowledge or wisdom do you have now that you would love to go back and give your 20-year-old self? Uh, if I can go back again, I probably would – Understand that Coach Sutton, Coach Sean, Coach Dickey, Coach Keller, Coach Sip—all of those guys were just. Um, I wouldn't. I would. I wouldn't lose as much confidence, I guess, and get so um, hurt, I guess, by what they were telling me to do and how to do it, and not listen to how much they were yelling at me, but just what they were trying to teach me, I guess. And I guess maturity, I guess, because if I would understand a lot more back then, then I would. Be, I would have been, I think, a better player and been able to uh, help the team more. From an offensive standpoint, maybe because I wouldn't have lost so much confidence when I got there, just being in a new situation, I guess. You talked a lot about that so far, Spoon. Did, did you get your confidence fully back in your time in Stillwater, or did it take going to the, the professional ranks in mm-hmm. Europe? Um, in my opinion, Oklahoma State, I never was the player um, that I was before I got there. I mean, I was an All-American. I was shooting you know, 45% from three, like, 55 from the two-point line and stuff like that. Um, but uh, I never was a player that I wanted to be at Oklahoma State, to be honest. Uh, I'm still not very happy with the player that I was at Oklahoma State because I felt like I could have gave more if I would have had more confidence in myself and didn't get shattered by being in a new place at Oklahoma State. But um, from that standpoint, I'm disappointed. But from a team concept, I think that was the best thing that ever happened to me in my life from a basketball standpoint because you can't take away those things that you learn when you're – on a team with those kind of guys that you love and you care about and coaches that love and care about you, the environment, Oklahoma State, you know, Gallagher, Iba, the fans, like that lives with you forever, you know, so I'm, I'm always yeah. grateful for that situation. I just wish from an individual standpoint that I would have been more of a offensive threat and didn't lose my confidence from an offensive standpoint because maybe we could have won, won, won the national championship if I was a better player. But if I was, then maybe things would be different too, you know, so you never know. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, what was it like post college? What What was playing as a professional like in Poland? Was it? Uh, I mean, what, I I don't I wouldn't even know going in like what you would expect it to be like. And did it exceed your expectations? Was it worse than you thought it would be? What just what was that whole experience like? Yeah, but Poland was was fun for me. I mean, just been having a chance to go and play professionally um, at any level over there in Europe is is pretty okay. Um, Poland was a pretty strong, not the greatest country for basketball, but it was pretty solid where I had some good competition and uh, I played pretty well. Um, I was an all-star point guard for my league my, the first couple of years, and um, I did well. I mean, basketball is basketball. So, you know, no matter what country you go to, you know, you still got to defend, you still got to knock down shots, and you still got to do those things anyway. So uh, basketball for me was fine. Of course, nothing is like playing in Gallagher, you know, in front of – 14,000 people screaming, you know, having a great time. But over there, maybe you got a thousand people, you know, playing and playing in front of those guys. So uh, that was the biggest difference, just the crowd size, I guess. You know, for me, basketball is basketball, no matter what what country you're in or what state or whatever. Um, uh, it's still the same thing, just a little bit different techniques or whatever from coaches from Europe. But other than that, you know, everything else is fine. Speaking of Gallagher, I, I was in college when you were playing, and that place, there was not an empty seat in the house for some of those games. Was there a specific game for you that you remember that you think back on? Like, wow, when I when we took the floor that night, that place was insane. And just what what I guess is your best memory? I guess of of a Gallagher Iba. Uh, for me, man, every home game we went undefeated that year at home. You know, so for <laughs> me, every home game was just insane. We looking at Ivan McFarland or Jason or Tony and like, 
damn, man, look at the crowd, man. You know, how can you ever be tired playing here, you know? Mm. So every home game always was awesome, man, because we know that was the people that we went to class with, we hung out with, we did things with. So, you know, when they're coming to the game, you know they're going to be crazy and screaming. And there's just no way anybody never, nobody really never asked to come out the game during a home game because you have so much energy. You, like, want to jump through the roof. You know, you have so much power and you're excited, you know. So um, playing at home was awesome for me. When you're coaching or teaching or training now, uh, younger students or kids, what, what are the what are the main things that you try to impart on them that you learn throughout your career? Um, for me, the biggest thing, my coaching style or whatever, is for me always about the team concept. You know, a lot of kids now don't really understand what it means to um, team basketball to to execute what the coach is asking you to do and looking out for your teammate to make sure, you know, if he's in trouble or something, go over and, you know, have his back, you know, because that was the biggest thing what I learned when I was at Oklahoma State is just being on a team with a group of guys where I knew, hey, if I try to go and get this deal and I miss it, you know, I know John or Tony or Daniel Bobby or somebody was going to be there to say, hey, my teammate just went for a steal. He's in trouble. Let's go help him out, you know, and it was always like that all season, you know, where anything that happened, we had each other's back. You know, we're coming to practice, coach, coach, I'm starting to be ripping into my butt. You know, all my teammates will come say, hey, Jay, it's your, Janava, it's your day, Spoon. Coach is getting on to you. So uh, just be quiet, you know, try harder, and we'll, we got your back, you know. So that's what I try to teach the most with my teams that I coach, is getting them to play as a unit and looking out for each other on the court. Do you still keep up with OSU, Spoon? Have you seen whether the job that Mike Boynton's done at Oklahoma State? Have you yeah. followed them at all? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I've been watching, uh, keeping up with them. I know it's going to take some time for them to, um, you know, get the culture built back up and uh, get them to the point where they start to win a lot more games and stuff like that. Uh, Mike Boynton, I remember from uh, Riverside Church over in New York City from the AAU circuit when we were young. I actually played against him a few times uh, when we were young. He probably remembers me, maybe not, but I was excited (laughs) to see him get the job, you know. So, of course, I would love to come back and help and be a coach or something in the future, but um, you know, I gotta, you know, do something with myself and see if I can get in a position to come over and help OSU. That'd be awesome. But shout out to Mike Boynton over there at Oklahoma State. I think he's doing an awesome job, and I heard he's a great person. And from what I know him as a 16 year old, when we played against each other and stuff like that, he was always a really cool guy and uh, down to earth and a good person. Small world. That's insane that you played against him in AAU in New York. Yep, he was from Riverside Church. Him and Omar Cook played on the same team. And they were always so good. <laughs> I was like, man, y'all got some good players out of New York. And we're from Delaware. We're a small team, the Delaware Sharks. So we're both Nike teams, so we would run into each other on the Nike circuit going down to Orlando um, to the Nike camp down there or whatever. And we've well, we been in Atlanta to the Peace Jam and stuff like that. So, wow, Yeah, I remember him, man. He's a really that's... good guy. I, I haven't talked to him in a while. I would, I would love to get on the phone with him and talk with him just to catch up on um, the, the basketball that's been going on. But uh, like I said, when I find some time, I love to talk with Mike if I get a chance. That's pretty cool. Uh, how, how much do you follow basketball in general now? Are you, are you into the NBA? Are you into college? Do you Just how closely do you uh, follow along? And, and uh, you know, what, what, is, what, what is your consumption level of hoops these days? Uh, my consumption level was, it might be too high because my wife was like, will you please turn off ESPN if all you watch is basketball? I'm like, honey, what else is more important than basketball? <laughs> so anyway, so my consumption level is through the roof still. I just love it. It's still giving me the adrenaline watching teams play, somebody defending, making an extra pass, hitting an open teammate. You know, it's just always it's something in me. It's just always there. And I would love to be able to coach at a high level in college if I can ever get to that point. But, uh, I love basketball, so it's always on. <laughs> who's your Who's your guy? Who's your team? Who do you like following? Um, right now, I, I follow LeBron James a lot. I think he's a, a really good player, and of course, I used to love Kobe and uh, keep up with a lot of those guys. So mm-hmm. um, Jimmy Butler, you know, um, I like J.R. Smith. He's an awesome shooter. I just follow. You know, I don't have many, very many teams that I love, but I just like players. You know, I just. Yeah. follow um, different players who's ever playing so yeah 
That's awesome. Spoon, we really appreciate your time. Before before we let you go, I, I know you kind of you rue your career at Oklahoma State. You talked a lot about losing confidence, maybe not didn't have the career that you had hoped. But I, I just want you to know, man, you're you're one of like the fan favorites. And and Mike Boynton has done a really good job of bringing former players back. If you ever come back to Gallagher Ivan, I'm sure if you reached out to Mike, he'd definitely love you for you to come back. But if you did, I bet you would get one of the loudest ovations from the people <laughs> at Gallagher. So I, I wanted you to know that because it sounds like you didn't have the, the best career in your mind at Oklahoma State, but you are very well thought of and probably right up there with Ivan McFarlane on like the all-time fan favorites. Yep. Yeah, yeah, always, yeah for sure. I always have a lot of love love for all the fans, man. They, they did always show me a lot of love when um, I would get in the game and stuff like that, and I still hear that spoon in my head sometimes when I'm <laughs> playing around or, or dreaming. But uh, the fans, man, I love the Oklahoma State Cowboy fans, man. I thought they were always beautiful and awesome for me and for my teammates, of course. But uh, that was something I always remember is, um, being the crowd favorite, I hope the the fans believe that I was going to get out there and play as hard as I could for the time that I got, and always try to get a, a run through still and, and a dunk if I could. So um, that's what I always remember. And uh, of course, I appreciate the fans, and I still love y'all to this day. And uh, I'll be back to Oklahoma State someday in the future. Yeah, Spoon. Hey, would you would you mind if I forwarded your number to Mike Boyton? I'd love for you guys to get get in contact with each other. Yeah, that'd be fine. I would love to speak with him. Okay, good deal. Well, awesome. hey, we appreciate your time, Spoon. Thanks a lot for your time. Thanks, Spoon. Appreciate Thank it, you, man. And I hope to talk to you guys soon. Talk to you later. Okay, talk to you Sounds later. good. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, Janava Weatherspoon. Wow, Kyle, that was that was one of my favorite interviews we've ever done. Uh, unexpectedly great. Not, I mean, I just not because of him, but I didn't know what to expect, and I thought it was very. I thought it was very. Um, just very humanizing. I, th- I think we watch these guys even in college and especially for you and me with those teams. And we think of them as being larger than life. And uh, we think of them as being superhuman. And he was basically just like, man, I was an all American. And then I got into my own head in Stillwater and I felt like I didn't even come close to reaching my potential. And you're like, wow, I can, I can relate to that as a, as a human being. And so it's uh that's that was really interesting to hear him talk about that, and uh, just a great talker in general, obviously uh, about a about a number of different topics. And uh, dude, so crazy that he played Mike Boynton in AAU when they were sixteen years old. That's crazy. How, cr- how crazy is that? That's that wild. Insane. I mean, what a small world. And I'm sure that just shocks him to this day that he's now the coach at OSU, the guy he used to yeah. play AAU against. Uh, but no, I, back to the the confidence deal. I'm sure. <laughs> When he just lists the players that he had to guard in practice, like you're bound yeah. to lose a little bit of confidence, aren't you? I mean, most of those guys spent time in the NBA that you're going up against. I mean, that that's a different level, and it's like that when you go from col- uh, high school to college, or even you know junior college to Division One. So, I I didn't realize he was that much of a score coming out of out of junior college. I, I didn't really remember that, but um, but yeah, I thought that was interesting the, the way he. Uh, wasn't too happy with his career, but was ultimately happy with the uh, the team aspect. And let's be honest, Kyle, like we probably wouldn't be interviewing him if he wasn't on a Final Four caliber team, the team we always love and remember, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it, yeah. it has worked out in that way in that he had team success because sometimes you can you can chase the individual and, and not get either. You might not get individual success or team success. Well, and I, think it's, I think what's super interesting is – I think, and I think this is what's really hard about building a championship level team is that if, if Janava Weatherspoon's on the 2017, 18 Oklahoma state basketball team, what is he like the third best player, second best, maybe the best player, you know, like he was on, like you said, just a team that was completely loaded. And if he's playing in 2018, maybe he gets a little more playing time. Maybe he score. Maybe he gets a little more confidence. Maybe he scores a little bit more, and then has a real shot, like like somebody like a Jeffrey Carroll at playing in the NBA. And so, I think what's hard about building a championship level team is you have to have guys like him who are like the sixth or seventh best player on the team, and those guys aren't used to being the sixth or seventh best player on a team. And uh, that that is that's where it gets difficult to kind of build a uh, a championship caliber uh, contender year in a year out. No doubt, and I mean, uh, how great was the uh, football pad story? <laughs> Eddie didn't like Eddie even made them go down to the equipment room and get it themselves. He didn't bring he, them to the basketball court. He could have borrowed like like him and Daniel Macklemore were probably the same size. No, yeah, probably so. 
I just assumed that I just assumed that Eddie just threw them on the floor and made them pick them like pick up random pieces of equipment. I didn't realize they got to like go get fitted at the equipment room. Yeah, it was great. Surprised uh, Les Miles. Surprised Les Miles didn't recruit the Grand Twins <laughs> while they were down there. No kidding. It would have been like the reverse of Darius Bowman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but now that that was cool. It's it's. I love talking to guys who. Um, just love basketball or or whatever sport they play. Like you can tell, like he just he still loves it. Like he can't get enough of it. And I don't think everybody's wired like that. So it's fun to to talk to guys who clearly are because it. I think it makes for for really intriguing uh, conversation. Yep. I'm, I I thought you were gonna ask if you liked KD and the Warriors like you. No. I mean, I do like KD, but I didn't want to. I wanted to leave it open ended for him. Yeah, no, nah, that was interesting. It, it's just it's crazy how fast time moves as well. He's thirty seven. I'm sure that that college season, those two college seasons, he was there, just were gone in the blink of an eye, and all of a sudden you're you know you're thirty seven and just watching games on TV. So it's it was good to catch up with him, and again, really appreciate his time. And I, I think it'd be cool to see him and and some of those guys come back. Uh, for a game this season. I think Mike Boyden's done a tremendous job of kind of embracing the former players. Uh, be cool to see Spoon get his due at uh, Gallagher. Yeah, that'd be, that would be awesome. Um, and you know, Boynton would be all over that, all about that. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure Boynton remembers him from the old days. Yeah. For, yeah, definitely. I feel like Boynton remembers everybody. Um, well, that's true. He remembers us. <laughs> he remembers yeah. us. He remembers everybody. Exactly. Uh, okay, let's hear it one more time, Carson, from our sponsor, Chris's University Spirit, and then we'll come back and wrap this podcast up. Chris's University Spirit on Campus Corner in Stillwater, Oklahoma, is proud to be your one-stop cowboy shop since 1986 and proud sponsor of this podcast, Pistols Firing. They specialize in custom-printed Oklahoma State apparel and merchandise and pride themselves on their excellent customer service. They also offer a full line of custom Greek apparel and can even outfit your Little League team head-to-toe. They're located at the corner of 3rd and Knobloch on Historic Campus Corner. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Shop Stilly. Shop Chris's University Spirit. Okay, Carson, uh, any final thoughts on uh, Spoon or uh, our chat with him uh, or anything anything upcoming? I guess we have, uh, we've already talked about it a little bit, but uh, are you looking forward to Big 12 Media Days next week? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, it's, it's earlier this year than ever, I believe. I think it's usually a week later than it currently is, but I'm, I'm fired up. It means football season's basically upon us you know fall camp will open up shortly thereafter uh, i'm looking for it's like my ninth i think it's like my ninth big 12 media days so mm. they all kind of i've been in tv 10 years i missed one year i believe i've been to the rest and just they all kind of i couldn't discern one year from the next other than last year when gundy showed up with a mullet that was a that was a groundbreaking moment in Big 12 Media Day's history. So I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say about uh, Cruton. Um, you know he's going to get asked about the Mike Holder stuff. Um, maybe he'll come out in his opening introductory <laughs> statement and say, I, I don't – pistols firing podcasts, I don't listen. Uh, it's, it, it's garbage. <laughs> and the – the blog that put it out is garbage. <laughs> so I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that too. Oh yeah, me too. That'll be great. <laughs> hey, you'll be on the scroll again. Yeah. 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 yeah that'll, that'll be awesome. Um, now I'm looking forward to, to it too. It's only my second one. And I think it, I think this week or this year is the same week as last year because it was during the open last year and uh, it's the same same this time around. But I think they had moved it up a week previously. Um, but regardless, yeah, it's, there it's was one cr- year, two years ago, Spieth was in that playoff on like Monday mm. uh, when he lost to oh god, Zach Johnson like, or uh, yeah, yeah 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 when Zach yeah. Johnson. Yeah, not good. No. Um, but yeah, you'll be down here. I'll be up there. 
and we will get to uh, convene, uh, see Kyle Boone. He'll be here as well. Maybe do a, uh, a pod from media days. Yeah, we're going to do something. I haven't, uh, I, I need to figure that out, but we're going to, we're going to figure something out and, uh, three man, then, three man pod. Yeah. We'll, we'll do something like that. Maybe Gundy will join us to talk about recruiting. <laughs> oh my God. Four man pod. <laughs> Maybe maybe Gundy will look over the table at, at Kyle Boone like Glenn Spencer did and say, "You do a really good job. I, I like you." That was that was a moment too. That was that was a moment. That was scary. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now that'll be fun. We'll we'll try to hopefully squeeze some golf in, and uh, yeah, it should be a fun week as always. All right, man. Sounds good. Okay. We'll talk to you soon.